Welcome to another edition of Making Money with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead, retired broadcaster. I want to talk about an issue, Ron, that uh, can cause a lot of acrimony in families, and that's estate administration. I think, though, where we want to start with this, and, and one of the key elements here is it's so important to have a will. And if you don't have a will, you should get a will. And it doesn't matter what your age is. You're never too young to have one. Uh, and there have been celebrities caught up in this nonsense of how do we settle the estate when there isn't a will? It becomes a real nightmare. Well, you look at Prince or you look at Aretha Franklin, and both of them died intestate without a will. And, of course, they had some pretty big estates. In Aretha Franklin's case, I believe there was some uh, disabled children or disadvantaged children. And, of course, when they pass, there's no clear guidelines on how things are supposed to be broken up. And, of course, governments have a mechanical process. But especially if you have uh, a family with very differentiated needs and wants, you know, you can use a will to really customize things to give everybody the best possible advantages with the resources that they're going to have. Otherwise, it's often just fought out in the courts, and that's the last thing that you want to do. In my four decades in the investment business, I can tell you without a doubt the worst days I had was when I had to sit down with the survivors and they brought in their pit bull lawyers and we had huge arguments around the boardroom table. I was the spectator, but watching families go at each other and tear each other apart, it just wasn't worth it. So I've had a chance to see a lot of things and there's four specific areas that have caused the most problems and I want to talk about those. We want to talk about those today because those are four areas that you can if you are a little bit proactive, you can solve these problems ahead of time, and it's not going to lead to these huge wars that often can take years and sometimes even decades in the courts to solve. And of course, we're not even beginning to talk about the combatants, their physical and mental health, where you see people literally, they're exhausted physically and mentally over this stuff. They're just it tears families with, apart, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, it's just seething with anger and you don't have to do any of that. So we're going to talk about four of the most important areas to look at uh, to make your estate administration as easy as possible. And I know this one quite well from, you know, when my mom passed and, and my mom, my wife's mother passed not too long ago. And there's things that were near and dear to mom that you remember from your childhood. And you're saying, boy, I'd like to have that as a keepsake. Family keepsakes is a big one. Family keepsakes is enormous. In fact, often the biggest problems that you have aren't over the million dollar businesses or the art collections or whatever. It's in the keepsakes. It's in the stuff that people have that have enormous emotional, spiritual, or commemorative worth, but they're really, their financial value isn't that much. You know, I know when my parents passed, we sold virtually everything. The only things we kept are a couple of hand-carved wooden chairs that my great-great-grandfather made. I kept an old uh, railroad watch. And uh, my brother kept a, 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 one of those old uh, mantle clocks, and he kept an old uh, antique porcelain Percheron horse. And the rest of the stuff we sold. But if you'd asked me five years ago, would it, what would we keep? 
I wouldn't have been able to uh, have told you, but as my parents got older and they spent some time sharing the history of this stuff, we both had some very, very clear ideas and thankfully we were able to sit down and work it out ahead of time which things we wanted to keep so there weren't any problems. But unfortunately, most people don't sit down ahead of time and work this stuff out. The idea that somebody's going to pass away is people don't want to think of their eventual expiry. So they're reluctant to talk about it. They're reluctant to get a will. They're reluctant to do these things. And if you don't, frankly, you're doing your family a huge disservice because you're going to leave friction points. And often these friction points can tear families apart. You don't need to do that. And one of the things that you, you talked about in your years in the investment business, that one of the things that really tears families apart is, is the collectibles. You know, grandpa's war medals uh, are a good example, or that cheap wedding ring that uh, great-great-grandma got when she got married in the dirty 30s, and it's, it, it looks like a, a, a band and a cigar box. But it has no commercial value because they didn't have any money to buy things, but it had enormous uh, emotional value to the family or you know I saw one where a family picked up a painting at a flea market in southern France and I think that a painting was appraised at ten dollars and they fought over it for years so you know these are the kind of things that you'd never expect but these are the kind of things that can really really turn a relationship upside down when everybody wants a specific item so you, you want to have a process for doing that, for, for splitting assets. Otherwise, uh, you can end up with a lot of friction, even over items that, frankly, you think these are inconsequential. But now, you said you have an example of a client who was cleaning up an estate where there were six children to split the assets. Yeah, and so especially the more human bodies you bring into a, a, an estate settlement, the more potential you have for conflict. Anything the kids wanted to keep was separated from the stuff that was to be sold or given away, and then each of the kids had to estimate in dollar terms what each of these items were worth. So they divided up the estate. They put a pile of things they wanted to split and things that the rest of it they wanted to sell. And so then each of the kids went through and they put a dollar value on each of these items. Then the six price estimates to each item were averaged together, and that became the value of the item. Then the kids drew numbers out of a hat, one to six, and that established the order in which they would be allowed to pick items from this pool of things that they wanted to keep. After all the desired items had been picked, the average price for each item was added together for each of the kids' chosen pool of assets or picks, and that total was then deducted from the value of the rest of the state and was split among them. Surprise, no fights. And as you, I think, you know, you sort of mentioned to me anecdotally that if you do it this way and then at the end of it, if, if the, the siblings want to do a little horse trading with each other and say, well, you know, that brooch you have that was mom's, like, you know, I'll swap you my dad's watch or whatever, right? Oh, exactly. But the thing is that if you're the executor, uh, that horse trading can go on between them and it can leave you out of it. Your job is done. And the biggest bonus is that this problem this process is, and I've seen it done a number of times now, really keeps family unity, which is something that money can't buy no matter how big the estate is. Because you can always say, well, luck didn't uh, allow me to get first pick, but I got second pick. And uh, of all the items there, I got 
you know, I didn't get exactly what I wanted, but I got my fair share and I tried it. We did some trading afterward and I pretty much came away with most of the things that, uh, that I wanted. And, uh, that's the outcome you're trying to get. And as an executor, if you can walk away without any further fights. Uh, that's just a big bonus for you. Second marriages. This is where the waters get pretty choppy. This is where the waters get very, very choppy because if you have two families where one spouse dies and then the, the husband and wife from these relationships get together, and the family, each of these families has had kids, you've got all these people looking over your shoulder and- Checking out the new spouse and, yeah. you know, and what's he or she thinking and- Yeah, in most cases, the second spouse is never as good as the first one was. Occasionally, it's not the case, but normally, people tend to look down their nose at the second spouse as someone who's an interloper or someone who's arrived late in the process. And of course, where the jealousy really comes in is if the two new spouses are getting along well, then the kids all of a sudden get this fear that, you know, the estate's going to go to the, the new spouse and the kids are going to get left out. And, you know, obviously this is where a lawyer can come in because you can set up a trust where the surviving spouse ends up getting the assets in, a, in trust, and those assets will then be dispersed to the kids after the second spouse passes. So because kids can get so jealous, this has resulted in some of the nastiest estate battles I've ever seen. And so if you find yourself in this position, you want to make sure that you have an estate lawyer that helps you set up the trusts, but also you want to sit down with the kids and tell them how all of this is going to work out. Very important. Okay, so if you are designated as an executor, are there some are there some basic rules that you have to have here that you have to employ before you start into this process? Well, I think that uh, essentially your basic rules that you want to uh, that you want to look at is that if you are going to be essentially sucked into the job of being the executor for the estate, even when things are simple it's going to be a lot more work than you ever imagined. And it's typically unappreciated by the beneficiary. So if you get offered this thankless task, you want to ask a few questions before you decide to say yes. Uh, number one, will there be some compensation for the time that you put into this? I know people that spend an even enormous amount of their own money and the beneficiaries never give them a dime, not even reimburse them for their expenses. So is that an upfront question? Say, look, at I'd be happy to take this on for you, but you're going to have to compensate me. Yeah, you're going to have to compensate me or at least take care of the expenses. And will there be any challenges to will over keepsakes, second marriages? And on our next show, we're going to be talking about caregivers and business interests, which are also enormous flashpoints. So before you decide on being an executor, ask are there going to be problems with keepsakes? Is there second mortgage or second marriage issues? Is there caregiver problems? Are there business intertwined business interests that are going to cause me a problem? And if it looks like there's going to be significant controversy, steer clear of this. There's no way you want to be involved in the extended aggravation of getting in the middle of something like this. And then of course the third thing you want to ask is uh, have the families 
can, what does the will look like? Are there trusts that are gonna take care of some of this stuff? And do you have the, the expertise to even handle this or the emotional capacity to deal with people who fight? And if they don't, do walk yourself away. a favor. Walk away, say no. Best thing you've ever did. I know in wills, we, we usually designate an executor. And you know, in a marriage, it's often your spouse. But you know, sometimes people die together, and that uh, then it then it goes down the line. Is is it common for lawyers to be executors, Ron, or is that an uncommon situation? Well, usually, what happens is that lawyers end up helping you out. So, uh, occasionally, I've seen uh, lawyers or trustees that end up taking the estate. Usually, it's in most cases, it's members of the family. And so I know in a number of cases where uh, one member of the family is the most competent and most level-headed, they're usually made the executor of the estate, but in some type cases, it's put in the will that, you know, you use such and such a lawyer uh, or you get advice from from, or an accountant uh, or something. Yeah. yeah, an accountant or a lawyer or a financial guy. You put it in the will that they're the, they're one of the go-to persons that you can get help in doing this uh, some of this stuff because it can be overwhelming, especially if there's some tax issues or some personality issues. And okay, so back next time to talk about those other two areas that you say can be real flashpoints. Remember, if you have a question about this show or any other show that we've done on Making Money, you can forward it to us through the website, makingmoney.cfcw.com, or go to our website, letsmakemoney.ca, and there is a comments at letsmakemoney.ca where it'll come directly to Ron's inbox or my inbox, and we'll address those questions in upcoming episodes of Making Money. Ron Hebert is the financial coach. I'm Gord Whitehead. Thanks for listening to Making Money. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.